This is The Law School Show. Discovering the person behind the resume. Bringing you their stories and their tips on how to succeed in your legal career. Catch it all here, right now, on The Law School Show. Welcome to The Law School Show, where we recognize the problem. Law students don't have unencumbered access to key career-shaping information. Information about what it means to practice law in different areas, insights into various recruitment processes, the bar, licensing process, and every other piece of the law school experience that shapes our developing professional lives. This podcast is meant to be that solution. At the Law School Show, we talk to professionals who have lived the experiences. We ask questions to discover the root of their decision-making processes and aim to reveal the secrets of their success, the mistakes they made along the way, and their unique personal advice for you. My name is Alex DiGiovanni, and today I'll be your host. Today I want to bring you into the world of a blockchain lawyer. Now, blockchain tech, in my opinion, is a game changer, and it's a shame that we aren't really taught anything about it. I think it's going to completely change how laws practice, and I think we need to be aware of it. So a little small agenda of how I think this conversation is going to go is first I want to go over some concepts, just basic general idea to get everyone up to speed a little bit. I want to then talk about the disruption that I think blockchain is going to cause and then what we can do about it as legal professionals. So my guest today is the man when it comes to blockchain and law and practice. He's a recognized fintech consultant. He literally wrote the book, A Practical Guide to Smart Contracts and Blockchain Law. He's faculty at Osgood's Blockchain Smart Contract and the Law Certificate Program. I'm proud to say he's a U Ottawa Law alum. He also holds a JD from Michigan State and an LLM in tax. His practice focuses on tax and estate planning, commercial and corporate, and of course, fintech and blockchain. He's the principal of Greenhouse Law, Aaron Greenhouse. It's good to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. So first, I just want to kind of bring everyone up to speed. I'm, blockchain is relatively new still, even though now it's kind of getting into more of a mainstream type of thing. but. I was wondering if you could just give us kind of like the blockchain for dummies description. It's uh, it's very interesting because what it does is it allows for transactions to occur in a trustless manner. So right now, if you want to, like in law school, we do a lot of contract drafting and reviewing and writing, right? You're learning how to do contracts and stuff like that. Yeah. So the whole purpose of a contract in a lot of cases is to make sure that you get paid and penalties for not getting paid. Like most of the contract is about that. This takes all that out of it. This takes it all out because the transactions occur on a decentralized, not one ledger that we both have to share, but ledgers that's recorded in hundreds or thousands of different places and have to be verified before the transaction can complete. So what blockchain essentially does is it cuts out the middleman, the verifier the person that we trust, like the bank or the lawyers in real estate Mm -hmm. transactions, which is another way that lawyers are going to be affected by this, or any other transactional type of business where you need a trusted third party to act as the conveyancer, the middleman, what this does is it takes that out of the equation. Completely solves the trust problem. Yeah, Yeah. that's the idea. Just building on to that, so you're talking about contracts and that kind of moves into like a smart contract, which is a self-executing contract, kind of like what you were saying, right? Yeah. So th- don't confuse uh, actual contracts with smart contracts because oh. they're not the same thing. All a smart co- contract is, is it's a list of objective permissions and results that you program in. 
it's not like when we're drafting a contract and it's not the same thing. Like they use the word contract, but really all it is is it's a list of occurrences and permissions. What it does is it instead of using dollars and cents, you can use these tokens, which are programmed to automatically transfer when the when the thing happens. So if I say I want you to paint my fence and I'm going to pay you $10 to paint my fence and then you paint my fence and then I look and I like the way it's painted and I give you the $10. Anywhere along that whole process, problems can happen. Like you bring the wrong color paint mm-hmm. or you don't show up on time or you don't. Or we haven't established a time that has to come up. Or you do the job and I think, oh, you know what? I don't think it's fully painted, so I'm not going to pay you. Or I'm not going to pay you the full amount. So what this allows you to do is it programs in. If something occurs, then the value is transferred. And immediately upon the occurrence of the of the thing, the tokens will automatically get transferred into the other person's possession. So there's no, it eliminates a lot of ambiguity. There, It's not perfect yet. There's still a lot, but for simple transactions that can be programmed that way, it solves a lot of those all the all of those problems. It seems to make it a lot quicker. Yeah, our job as lawyers is to take objective contracts and find subjective things wrong with them and argue them. This takes all the subjectivity out of it, which is kind of why I got into this. I actually started out in this space as an investor, okay. uh, buying certain coins and tokens, Ethereum at first, and then a few mm-hmm. others I got into. Then I started to, my background is a tax lawyer, right? And then I started to learn about the technology and uh, I thought, oh, this is going to be the end of commercial lawyers, so I better get ahead (laughs) of this. Then I started to learn more about the security side. I spent a few years learning about the security stuff. And uh, and with the tax background, it's very easy to pivot into this space because it's mostly tax and securities and commercial law. And there's IP involved as well. And there's uh, insolvency, unfortunately, is in a lot of these Mm -hmm. cases. And a few other things, but primarily I would say tax and security. So I was pretty good in a pretty good position yeah, to jump background. into this. Yeah, because yeah, I even remember reading in commercial law just last semester, we were talking about uh, CIF contracts. And then I did a little bit of research or whatever, and then I found that um, the Commonwealth Bank of Australia and Wells Fargo created the first, um, or they completed the first cross border transaction between banks. And what it basically did was replace the CIF and everything. It was a million-dollar sale that took place in like four seconds where they didn't need import letters of credit or anything like that. And I went to my prof and I was asking him, like, I showed him and I said, well, it seems like what we're learning is going to be kind of... Uh, Obsolete. History, yeah, ancient history by the time I graduate and actually finish articling and get to practice. And But that's a good thing. That means that the law is working because this our laws and common law are designed to adapt to the changing times. Mm-hmm. I think that things like uh, paper book research, is that even taught in law school anymore? Book research? Yeah, (laughs) where you have to go in the library and and research and do shepherdized cases and things like that. So I I did that. But I was, I think, one of the last years to do it. So I think that our common law is designed to be nimble, to adapt. I don't think we're going to be in a lot of trouble. One of the problems is when they start to take old laws and try to adapt them to new situations or old cases and try to adapt them to new situations. Take the Pacific Coast coin case from 1978, which was adopted from a 1940s or 50s case from the U.S. that determines whether the thing is a security or not. Okay, So a lot of the big questions right now in, in securities law and, and, and crypto 
and blockchain is whether a cryptocurrency is a security or not mm -hmm. and whether it needs to be regulated by the securities regulators. And the test that they're using to determine that was adopted into Canadian law before I was born, even. You know, and, and it was actually adopted by an American case. Like, they just took an American case and brought it into the Supreme Court of Canada to make it Canadian law. So that U.S. case is decades older than that, even. So we're trying to adopt a case that was originally about orange groves, which was later applied to precious metals, into digital assets. And there's like a 30 or 40 year spread between each of those wow. situations. So how do we do that? Well, they're, they're trying to adapt and they're trying to do it. And then we have the Pacific Coast test. And it's trying to show that, oh, well, it's an investment of money with an with a, with a expectation of profit through no effort of your own. And these are the, these are the um, in, a, in a common business enterprise, these are the things that are going to determine whether it's a security or not. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that is not really understood or how you apply is all of those things are true, but when you buy a coin or a token, you're not buying a piece of a business the way you are when you buy a share in a, in a, mm -hmm. on the stock market or when you buy security. You actually own a piece of the business. But when you buy a, a coin or a token, you don't own a piece of the business. Yes, you're buying it maybe as an investment, but is this really capital stock? Is this something that should be considered a security? Uh, that's something that we still have to wait and have challenge. This is the way that the securities regulators have interpreted it. Mm -hmm. But to date, in Canada at least, we haven't had anyone challenge that interpretation. And you know that regulators don't make law. right? The regulators have to follow the law just like everyone else. But the courts interpret the law. So if the regulator says, no, this is how it is, until someone challenges it in court, until a court corrects that test to include digital assets and say everything but you know like it's not gonna, it's not gonna, gonna change, change eh? but you need someone to challenge it and that's the fun part too <laughs> is you know seeing the, the justice system in, in action so that's that's something lawyers can look forward to in the future that uh, i think it's gonna happen a lot sooner than we think next few years uh hopefully yeah we but, need clarity yeah the, like we're dealing the three main regulators that we're dealing with here are the anti-money laundering like fintrack Securities regulators, which are in every province, and the federal CSA, and um, and tax, and all three of those have different definitions of what money is. Yeah. So if they can't agree on what money is, how can they determine whether something is money or not? How can they have an across-the-board definition? They can't. So all of these things are gonna, and those are all regulators, right? These are all regulatory agencies that are just scrambling to interpret as best they can. It's really interesting to watch them. Yeah. And the the best part for us, for lawyers, for people going into this space, it, what? Uh, let me ask you a question. Do you think this ambiguity is good or bad? For lawyers, I think it's good. Why? Because I think, I think we live off ambiguity. That's an excellent answer. I totally agree with you. A lot of lawyers I work with, particularly securities lawyers, are very, very makes them very anxious that there's ambiguity, because securities law is a very different. Uh, it's highly regulated and they try to, you have to comply. Securities regulation is all about compliance and disclosure, compliance and disclosure. Tax, on the other hand, which is my actual background, is more about exploiting the ambiguities. Mm -hmm. I find that those ambiguities really help us help our clients. Speaking of tax, actually, your firm actually accepts cryptocurrencies. As payment. As yeah. payment, yeah. yeah. I was just wondering, what are the tax implications of, like, how do you report 
cryptocurrency do you have to convert it to canadian dollars well it's or? interesting so the i mean the way the way it's treated is the same way as if you were to buy <clears throat> anything for something other than money because it's not defined as money it's treated as a barter transaction okay. which is the oldest rule in i think human history is <laughs> from the first time the first guy traded a cow for for two goats you know like this is barter how do you determine that so what we do in Canada, anyway, the, the barter rule is if I were to buy, if I were to buy that, if you were to give me your pen and I give you my laptop in exchange for the pen and it's treated as a commercial transaction, then I would declare the income of the pen as, let's say the pen's worth on the fair market a dollar and the, let's say the laptop is worth a thousand dollars. Your income would be a thousand dollars. My income would be a dollar. And if we were doing it in the course of business and it was a commercial transaction, we would have to factor HST into that too. And then you'd have to remit HST even if you never collected it. So these barter transactions can get a little tricky. Uh, and that's kind of how they're treated right now. It seems like once this really starts to get going, I mean, I think everyone's going to have to, at some point, accept crypto. And... Well, I'm working as an advisor with a few companies, one of which is making it possible to use crypto to buy things at major retailers already. So it's happening. It's already happening. But yeah, they're going to have to deal with those those tax consequences so a lot of people are familiar and i'm sure a lot of legal professionals listening are familiar with an ipo how how similar or how different is an ico an initial coin offering nowadays not very different at all if you're now we're getting into that test again so if you're raising money to build a platform that no longer exists then what the regulators have told us is that you're dealing with securities so there's really not much of a difference between an ico and an ipo in terms of compliance the way they operate is a little different because there's, you know, technology involved. Yeah. Uh, but if you're offering a security to the public, you need to comply with the rules. So it's almost, it's a parallel to kind of shares in a way. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, it's, it's the same thing as if I just like, I have a pile of coasters in my hands here. And if I said, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a piece of my law firm for this coaster, you just... I'll write on the back of it, Greenhouse Law Firm, 5%, and you give me $500, and you take this coaster. That's a share. That's mm -hmm. securities. If I go out into the street and I start offering coasters as part of my thing, I have to comply because I'm offering securities to the public and invest for, in exchange for investment of money in my common business enterprise mm -hmm. in which they will have no um, control. So that, that's the test. So one of the, one of the things I like, the analogies I like to draw is if you know if you go into uh one of those video arcades that um now they all use like cards right but they used to sell tokens yeah yeah right so chuck e cheese you know my kids <laughs> still have birthdays at chuck e cheese and chuck e cheese still sells tokens you buy a couple of tokens so if you uh drive by a place that has it's like a vacant lot there's a guy sitting in a chair with a sign in the ground that says future site of chuck e cheese okay and he's selling tokens to play the games. And they're asking, why are you selling these tokens to play the games? They don't even exist yet because I'm going to use the money to build the Chuck E. Cheese. Oh, and I'm only selling a thousand of these tokens. Oh, and one more thing. I'm going to have the best games ever. Everybody's <laughs> going to line up around the block to play these games. So now I'm thinking, you know what? Maybe I'm not too old for video games, but I can buy them for a quarter today or a dollar 
when this thing's built, these kids from high schools and whatever are going to be lined up around the block. They're going to want to play. I'll just stand outside and sell them. If you go into Chuck E. Cheese today, there's no value of these coins outside of Chuck E. Cheese. You can't go into a store and buy bread with mm-hmm. Chuck E. Cheese tokens. But if there were only a thousand of them available, and I'm giving this guy money to build this thing, really what he's selling me is a security. He's selling me a security because my expectation is that I will profit through no effort of my own. I'm investing into a common business enterprise. That's that's it. So that's <laughs> that's what's happening with these things, though. People are selling tokens to play their platform, whatever it is, whether it's a gambling blockchain platform or whether it's a supply chain management platform or whether it's whatever it is, right? There's everything out there. Most of them are not just looking to replace money. That was Bitcoin and a couple of others that have jumped up. But most of the other ones have a purpose. They're like, uh, you know, there's just like I've seen so many different ones. They're different games or they're different services or, you Mm -hmm. know, healthcare related insurance industry related information gathering all that kind of stuff so they're selling these tokens though to build the video game that you can't use yet you can't use it until it's built so those ones are securities if they had it fully built out and decentralized the regulators have told us then it's no longer security because it has utility you can use it and that's where that utility security distinction came up in my mind that dichotomy doesn't really exist. You're either security or you're not. You can call it a utility token. That's not a thing. It's like you're a security or you're not a security. And if you're not a security, it's because you can use the token for the purpose for which it was intended. I've never heard that analogy, but for some reason, the Chuck E. Cheese analogy just uh, (laughs) sticks with me. That's really good. Incidentally, the first uh, Bitcoin transaction that ever occurred was, I think it was May 10th, 2000 and May 22nd, 2010 was 10,000 Bitcoin for two Papa John's pizzas. No that was way. the first Bitcoin <laughs> transaction. And I remember doing the calculation that if you uh, check the value of those pizzas as of December of last 2017, they would have been worth like $20 million. Oh my God. Like the, the most valuable <laughs> pizzas in the world. Papa or John's. 200 million or something. Yeah, if they kept those Bitcoin for seven years, they they wouldn't. Papa John would be living in Jamaica, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On an estate. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. That's crazy to think about. So, just to sort of segue into the disruption and how it's kind of going to change the game, where have you seen blockchain being put to use in most of uh, the businesses you've dealt with or advised? Everybody's turned their minds away from tokens and coins Mm -hmm. more of the folk i mean as money as money now it's about conveyance of information so one of the projects i still really like is iota i don't know if you know about iota it's actually not blockchain it's dlt decentralized ledger technology blockchain is a type of dlt so what it does is uh the concept is everything we're using including your laptop and this little speaker thing here that tv over there Uh, some refrigerators, microwaves, they're all connected to the internet. Mm -hmm. So you have the internet of things, and I'm sure you've heard of that term before. So we have so many things, cell phones, billions of cell phones all over the world, right? Connecting to the internet and sending and receiving information. If we're able to create tokens that can be sent through any of these devices for any purpose, we don't really need uh, miners anymore. 
So the way blockchain works is you have uh, transactions being verified, yeah. and then reward they reward the verifiers, and there's atrophy there. So you they, they want a reward. So if you send a transaction, it's not zero fee, it's a fractional fee, and it's cheaper than using a bank, but mm-hmm. still takes a piece of the transaction out to the miner. This takes that out completely because any device in the world can act as a miner. So the way it works is if you send one transaction, you have to verify three. They have this thing called the tangle, which is like the blockchain. And it's it's called a tangle because if you look at a picture of it, it's not the way the blockchain looks is where you have one verification connects to the next one. And it's like a belt, like a long belt. This one is, it looks like a spider web. It's just got all these different points of contact from all these different devices everywhere, just verifying and sending, verifying and sending. But because they're IoT devices, the focus really isn't on value. It's on information that's being sent. So one one good use of this, it's another project I'm involved with, is uh, real estate. But not real estate like syndicating purchases where they try to raise money to buy a building and then you're invested in that building. No, because you're in securities again when you do that. Instead, it's more like, um, let's say you have a commercial tenant, so you can't do this in residential, who's not paying the rent. The rent is paid by tokens. And if the rent doesn't reach a certain amount of time or whatever, then the key fob doesn't work anymore automatically and you can't access your unit anymore. So it's all connected by the Internet of Things and all these smart devices to affect the conveyance of information real time coupled with the transmission of value to make sure that these smart contracts mm-hmm. uh, to make sure the smart contracts are effective for doing your business i don't know if that makes sense but the focus really is not we're not trying to replace money anymore and we're not trying to do icos that are very valuable instead let's create a business model for enterprises mm-hmm. enterprise solutions and use the technology to maximize efficiency. So now it's more, it's more about the optimization rather than. Well, it's less about the altruistic original goal of yeah. replace money, create a world currency, which was Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Which everybody, I mean, very few people reference this, but I think it's important to note that Bitcoin never did an ICO. It was just mm-hmm. a bunch of people who had a great idea. Well, apparently one person. There's a lot of controversy yeah, around yeah. this, but. You know, that Satoshi paper, they read it, they built it, they volunteered their time, they acted as miners, they verified transactions, proliferated from there, and now it's worth several thousand for, for one of these things that was worth one nothing. Coin. Yeah. But that was done without an ICO. It's not like they generated all these things mm-hmm. and sold them to raise money to build the thing that, no, they had it built at the outset. It was more like, here's mm-hmm. our project, and now let's use it. They just had to create the value. Yeah, but the, the reason they did that was because they wanted to create something better. They wanted to do something better than banks. They wanted to kill banks. Yeah. And, uh, and so we'll see if that actually happens. But what happened later was, okay, now how can we profit off this? So let's create a blockchain system that uh, can help other people create smart contracts and their own blockchain platforms. And that was Ethereum. And Ethereum helped let people do that. And the founders of Ethereum, you know, retained some of the tokens themselves, hoping that they would become in demand and valuable. And they did. But that was more centralized. That was more of a centralized effort. It became decentralized later. But it wasn't uh, it wasn't like Bitcoin. Bitcoin was the, the first one. I think the, the only example. 
of a non-ICO uh, successful blockchain project. So what do lawyers have to fear about all of this? I don't think lawyers should fear anything. I think that lawyers should learn about it and embrace it because there will always be disputes. There will always be situations where you need someone who's an expert, trusted uh, person who knows the law to advise and to resolve issues. I think the best thing that lawyers or law students can do is try to get ahead of this, try to learn about what the risks are. I don't think lawyers are going to be killed. I mean, another another good example is uh, was when the combustion engine came out, all the horseshoe guys went out of business, mm-hmm. right? But we created mechanics and car manufacturers and gas stations and tire companies to create more tires and rubber plantations and manufacturing and like all these other industries emerged from this more sophisticated industries emerged from this and the the horseshoe person who was not able to get ahead of that brush up on it learn about you know all the new technology gets left behind but this happens every day how many travel agents do you want sure they were all over the place when i was a kid and then Expedia destroyed them all. That's true. So I guess um, maybe you can put a bunch of our minds at ease and tell us we don't have to learn computer science. <laughs> um, Even though I think I think, I think we're it would have be to smart. Yeah. I, my, I, my oldest daughter, I have three daughters. My oldest daughter is taking computer coding. She's nine years old. And if there were two things I wanted her to learn, it's computers and Chinese. That's that's, that's what future. I want her to learn. Yeah, that's that's what I think. That's what I think. We should all be. You don't need to be fluent in everything. If there's a language that you need to learn, if you're wondering, should I should I learn a different language? You know, French is French important. You want to get involved in politics in Canada? French is important. You know, Spanish. A lot of North American business is done. Yeah. South of South America, naturally. But the biggest language I think you should be learning is computer. That's going to be the world language. Yeah. It is. Just uh, to sort of piggyback on how what lawyers and law students can do. Do you think, um, how do you think blockchain can sort of improve the internal operations of a law firm, so to speak? Do you think it's applicable in that sense? It will be, but not yet. One of the projects I'm working on now I don't know how much I can really speak about it, but it's it's uh, it has to do with uh, real estate as well. And I think I was just alluding to it before, but when you have when you have uh, lawyers acting as nodes on the blockchain or the the, the miners who are verifying the transactions, uh, that that would be a good that would be a good way to. Um, slowly move from what we have now which is the lawyers doing all these verifications on paper all the due diligence for commercial transactions and real estate Mm -hmm. transactions and all that kind of stuff moving that over to a blockchain model where we are verifying things that are on a shared decentralized ledger that will take a lot of the paperwork and due diligence out of out of lawyers and we we do a lot of we, we fill a lot for due diligence yeah so that's one way. But there are going to be lots of ways. There are going to be lots of ways. And you finding those ways will make you more valuable at your law firm. 
So we should be sort of jumping the gun on this. And Yeah, you're asking me questions that could be your future career. I know you teach the program at Osgood, but why do you think other schools haven't really jumped on this yet? Because I think it's this is like extremely valuable information for people who are going to be lawyers to learn about. And I think if, if this comes to dominate business and a lot of us are going to be corporate lawyers or business lawyers or commercial or whatever, we're going to be jumping into the deep end a little bit. Yeah. If, this, if there's a demand for it, it'll happen. So it's all about the demand, yeah. I think so. I think they have to recognize whether there's a demand for it. My last question was, um, do you think one other way that lawyers can sort of kind of find their place with the blockchain is once uh, blockchain kind of becomes more mainstream, do you think lawyers can be sort of keepers of the blockchain kind of from like a corporate governance sort of standpoint where they kind of maintain the blockchain and the integrity of it? That's what I was alluding to before, yeah. where the law, law firms would be the nodes or the <clears throat> the only ones allowed to be the miners on that particular network. And that could be for land registry, for real estate, that could be for corporate due diligence, it could be for corporate governance, like maintaining uh, share, share ledgers and share certificates. A lot of that's out there. There's stuff like that already out there, but it's very, very basic. Like what one of the one of the analogies that I always liked is like cryptocurrencies are to blockchain what email is to the internet. Like right now everyone's really just focusing on cryptocurrencies. And that's kind of where it was in the nineties with the internet. Like we have email, we're sending email, that's all we can do with it. Now, what can't you do with the internet? You know, like True. you can do any, you never have to leave your house. True. You can get your food, your groceries, you could do your job through the internet, through Skype. You could do, you know, like meetings. You could do everything. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to leave your chair. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's wonderful. But, you know, you don't have an excuse to leave. I mean, I, lawyers, when in the, in the 80s, uh, you know, they, they stayed, they worked hard, they worked long hours and stuff. But when you leave the office, like, that's it. I, I never leave the office because of this stupid thing I have in my pocket. It follows me everywhere. Clients want to email me at Sunday morning at 7 a.m. I don't necessarily have to respond. But if it says urgent, if I had not had this thing in my pocket, I'd probably just be playing with my kids. I wouldn't be running upstairs to check what it was and review it and respond to it and do all this kind of stuff. All of those, I think, all of this is progress and they all are opportunities. All of these things are just such great opportunities, especially in this job market. If you're all wondering what you're going to do for work, because it's such a ridiculously competitive job market <laughs> yeah. in Ontario for lawyers, like ridiculous, this is it. You find a niche, you build it, and you exploit it, and you do what you want to do. Do something that's interesting for you. I mean, this is very interesting. Yeah, I definitely me, anyway. find it interesting as well. Yeah, but I also find tax interesting. Not everybody does. <laughs> But uh, just to end things off, I'd like to say, you know, thank you for taking the time out of your day to talk to us and to kind of educate us. And I hope that a lot of people have been inspired, been put at ease, or maybe just found something new to kind of read up on, because I think this is going to affect everyone in a huge way eventually. So this, this has been the Law School Show and my guest, Aaron Grinhouse from Grinhouse Law. And uh, we're signing off. Thanks again for coming. Thank you. You've just been listening to The Law School Show. You can find all our episodes on iTunes, 
Stitcher, or at our website at thelawschoolshow.com. If you liked what you heard, like us again on Facebook and get the latest updates from The Law School Show. Career Advancing Advice, right to your earbuds.